Good morning. Let's try it one more time. Good morning. Good morning. It is an incredible joy to be with you today. Um, my name is Darren Kennedy, and I am your PCUSA missionary in Cairo, Egypt. And I want to specifically thank you all for the ways that you've supported my wife and I and our two boys this month to almost to the very day we've been there. We, we left for Egypt the first time 20 years ago. And we're celebrating that anniversary. We're celebrating the, the ways that God has worked in our lives and through our lives. And it is a real privilege to be here with people who have been praying for us, who've been giving generously to us. And I just want to thank you for all of that from the very first. So if you don't remember anything else that I say today, please remember, um, thank you. God has blessed us richly through you, and we are grateful to be representatives of Jesus Christ, but also representatives of you, a community of Jesus Christ um, in the Arab world. The uh, scripture today um, comes from Isaiah 42. So if we could turn now to Isaiah 42, listen for the word of Lord. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or lift up his voice, or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlines wait for his teaching. Thus says the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes of the blind to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I'd like to go forward and read briefly from the Gospel of Matthew now. So reading from Matthew 12, verses 15 to 21. When Jesus became aware of this, he departed. Many crowds followed him, and he cured all of them. And he ordered them not to make it known. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not wrangle or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He will not break the bruised reed or quench the smoldering wick until he brings justice to victory, and his name the Gentiles will hope. Please join me in prayer. Gracious God, let the good news come now, not only in word, but also in power, and with full assurance in your Holy Spirit. Amen.
So the, the verses that we have today are clearly parallel. You have, you have Matthew in the New Testament referring back to Isaiah in the Old Testament. And he's referring to Isaiah, of course, and Isaiah is one of the major prophets. And I'm reminded of a professor I had in college, and he was the foremost professor in the whole world on Chaucer. But he was also humble enough to say, you know, I wasn't always on the top of the academic food chain. And there was a time where I was an undergraduate, he was an undergraduate, and he was taking a midterm. And the, the question on the midterm was a Bible. And it was, who are the minor prophets? Foremost scholar in, of Chaucer in the world had no idea. He didn't have a clue in the world. So he thought for a second, and I thought his answer was rather profound. He said, who am I? to decide who is a major or a minor prophet. <laughs> well, we're, we're in the major prophets today. Isaiah is, a, is an interesting book because while we know so many of those verses in it from specifically Handel's Messiah, Isaiah is actually a pretty negative book. It, it's telling the people of Israel why it is that they're in exile. So it's, it's, it's one of those verses, it's a little harsh on why these things are happening, but we're also focused today on a part of it that's incredibly hopeful. Isaiah was written in the age of empire. There were empires all around. Israel is this sort of postage stamp of a, of a small nation, and it's just surrounded by empires. We have my favorite empire, the Egyptian empire. There's Persia, there's Assyria, there's Babylon. But they're all empires, and it's the age of empires. And I want to talk briefly in terms of background on, on what the mentality or what the atmosphere of empire meant. And I want to just kind of walk through three aspects of it. I want to talk about the goal of empire. I want to talk about the method of empire. And I want to talk about the scope of empire. So first, um, it's not very surprising and not very difficult to understand. What is the goal of empire? Well, the goal of empire is totally straightforward. It is the expansion of the power and the prestige of the empire. That's the goal. And if you want to narrow it down a little bit further, it's not just about the expansion of the power and prestige of the empire. It's about the power and prestige of the elite of the empire. And if you want to narrow it down even more, it's all about the king. It's about expanding the power and prestige of this one leader. So what's the goal of empire? It's power and prestige for this person and through that person for the empire. So method. What's the method in the age of empire? Well, the method, again, it's not very difficult. It's pretty brute force. It's through power raw power. And in the age of empire, which empires flourished? Well, it was the one with the biggest army and the biggest coffers. And what you use is you use military might or you use economic might. But what you do in terms of method is about power in subjecting others. Okay? So we have the goal, we have the method, and then the scope. And the scope is a little bit trickier here. The scope of empire is actually limitless. It's outward. It's the empire trying to go outward and conquer as many people as they can. So in a sense, the scope is everywhere, 
But in another sense, I think you could argue that it's not. It's, it's actually about the empire. Because what they're trying to do is just expand the power of the empire. And it's precisely in this context, the age of empire, that Isaiah says these words. And they're words of hope. So like I said, Isaiah has been explaining why it is that Israel is in exile throughout the book. And there's all the different things that Israel was not doing, not listening to God. But then in chapter 42, we have these words of hope. And these words of hope are just incredible but they're spoken into this context of the age of empire and they subvert or they change the different parts of the logic of empire. And so I'd like you to look with me briefly at the goal, the method, and the scope that God is saying, this is how I am gonna do it in and through this community. So first of all, what is the goal that God is saying here? Well, he says the goal is mishpat, or justice. So look with me, if you would, in, in verse 1, what we have is, I have put my spirit upon him, he will bring forth mishpat, or justice, to the nations. Now, basic seminary professor type thing to say, but when, when the Bible repeats itself, again and again and again. That's something to look for. There's something being said here that's important. So in verse one, we have this re reference to justice to the nations. And then in verse three, we see he will faithfully bring forth justice. And then we see yet again in verse four, he will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth. So, so the goal of, of God's vision is not about the, the expansion of power and prestige for the king. It is actually the establishment of justice. Justice is key here, okay? So the second thing is we're looking at method. Um, method. So, so here in, in Isaiah, we, say, we see that, that God is identifying this servant that is going to go out and, and to serve the purposes of God. So what's the method of that one? And I referred to before to the raw power and force of the empire, but here you have something different. The servant acts in loving service and not with raw power. So you see in verse 3, and this is interesting, it says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. So the, the image here is, is that the servant, the one who is identified by God, is, is going to be so incredibly gentle in the mannerisms, in the way that, that the servant carries out the work, that even brushing by, already cracked, already, uh, already um, broken branches, that, that this one will not move with enough swiftness or power to actually even break those twigs. And when, when this one moves by, smoldering wicks, so, so wicks that are almost out, this one moves so gently that those don't even get extinguished. So in contrast with raw power, we actually have incredible gentle service here. So the method is also very different. And then we move on and we see that the scope is different. And, and here, 
um, I want to I want to try to draw the the parallel again because I said that the empire actually has this limitless scope, but it's a limitless scope on behalf of the empire. But here we we see something very very different. The scope is we see in verse five, God is the Lord of all. He says, "quote God gives breath to the people upon the earth and spirit." To those who walk upon it. Now it's interesting here because because God is clearly talking to the people of Israel, but it's expansive. It, it's saying God is actually the God of every single human being who walks in this earth, and the mission of God and the mission of God's servant is actually every single being who walks on this earth. Or in verse six, we say, "I have." We read, "I have given you as a covenant to my people." a light to the nations. So the servant is being given to the covenant people of Israel, but not just as an end for Israel, not only for the empire, but actually for all of the nations. And then in verse 7, in direct contrast with the logic of the empire, there's a specific concern for the outcast, for the powerless. God will, or the servant will open the eyes of the blind and bring forth the prisoners from the dungeon. So what I've tried to do is I've tried to say, look, there's these three aspects in the age of empire. Isaiah has stepped in here and, and prophesied on behalf of God and said that the one that God would call forth is actually going to do things very differently. There's a different goal, there's a different method, and there's a different scope. And that scope is reflective of the very heart of the living God. Now, of course, we, we know that from history and the, from the history of Israel, God did deliver the people of Israel who were, were in exile like this. But at the same time, we know from the Gospel of Matthew that it's not until the arrival of Jesus Christ that we see the true fulfillment, the true embodiment of the one who is answering these, these prophecies that were given in Isaiah. It is in Christ where he literally is healing the outcasts, where he is literally going to the powerless that we most see the fulfillment of God's prophecies in Isaiah. What I'd like to do now is I'd like to talk to you a little bit about how we as Christians in the 21st century and how the Christians that I work with in Egypt are actually fulfilling the, the goal, the method, and the scope. Because what we are actually talking about here is that this triune God who, who says, yes, I will deliver you from exile, is also saying, yes, we as a church, we as the followers of, of Jesus Christ, need to reflect this very heart of God, this mercy, this justice to the world around us. So what I'm going to say here is, first of all, we, we see that the justice of God is happening through the work of churches like yours here in San Marino, but also like those in Egypt. In Egypt, it's very, very difficult to build churches. It actually takes the, the permission of the president of the country to build or repair a church. Try to imagine that. There are 100 million people in Egypt, and they need to get the president of Egypt to sign off to build a church. 
What is amazing, though, is, is that the people of Egypt, the Christians of Egypt, had said, look, what we can do is we can meet the needs of God's people. And God's people are all people. And so what they'll do is they'll open a clinic in a poor area of town, or maybe they'll open a school for someone, for, for the people of the town. And when they open those doors, it's for Muslims and Christians alike. Anybody who needs that, come on in. Well, Egypt's a religious society. And what ends up happening is they say, well, you know what? We'd like to build a chapel for our school or our clinic. Well, the government understands that. I mean, you're you need a chapel, that's fine. Well, they build it just a little bit bigger than maybe the clinic needs. And they think, okay, well, we, we actually have this, this chapel now. Why don't we start meeting for worship there? And what happens, and I want to be clear, the government knows what's happening. This is not like pulling the wool over their eyes or something like that. But it's because our Christians are stepping into the needs of all the people in the community the authorities are looking the other way and allowing churches to be built this way because the communities defend the right of their existence because those Christians are bringing forth justice. They're serving the people that are happening there. And in a, what I consider to be an utterly miraculous way, in the last 10 years, we've been there now for 20 years, and I'd argue that you would find it very difficult to find in modern history a worse 20 years. We've had, you know, the 9-11 the attacks, which were awful, the war in Iraq, which was terrible, the, the, uh, the rise of ISIS, the, uh, just all the, the Arab Spring and all the fallout of it. It's been awful in so many different ways. Okay, so that's the context. By the way, the, the correlation with the time that my family's been there, not causation. <laughs> correlation, not causation. Anyway, coming back to my point, though, in all of these awful years, in the last 10 years, the Presbyterian Church in Egypt has gone from 300 churches to over 400 churches. And the reason why is because they have been vessels of this justice, of this light to the nations. And it's good, good news. So the second thing I want to talk about, if I don't pull things down, excuse me, is the goal. What's the goal? Well, like we, we uh, excuse me, not, uh, sorry, what's the method? The method, and this is one where I, I'm going to brag a little bit, but in, 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 uh, in the empire, it's about power and force. In, in God's kingdom, it's about gentleness. It's about walking through in gentle service in ways that don't even quench those smoldering wicks. My, my wife, Elizabeth, is one of my favorite preachers in the world. And you guys got the short end of the stick having me today. But she's one of my favorite preachers in the world. And the denomination in Egypt does not ordain women. But she is an ordained woman. And so when people ask her to preach, she preaches. She does not force herself. She doesn't self-promote and things like that. But people have heard her preach before, and it's built up momentum. And some of the largest Presbyterian churches in Egypt are begging her to come and preach there. And what she does is she doesn't stand up and push women's ordination. She doesn't stand up and defend her own ordination. What she does is she faithfully prepares prays about it, works through her message, and then stands up in perfect Arabic and delivers the word of God. And what's amazing to me about that is, is that it's not actually about her. It's about service. And what happens is the Holy Spirit works through that word 
and people watch it on YouTube again and again and again. And one of the really wonderful stories is, is that, that she, she had a, a youth group leader long, long ago that, um, that suggested that, well, anyway, the, the youth group leader did not believe that God um, heard the prayers of women who didn't cover their hair in church. And that hurt that, that really young girl. Well, fast forward about 30 years later, that youth group leader had a 19-year-old son who begged his father to introduce him to the parents of the woman who preached on the internet and changed his life. She's not self-promoting. She's gently trying to be faithful to the ministry of God. So the scope, what's the scope? It's not the empire. It's not forcing the, 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 uh, ourselves onto it, so the power and prestige of the empire. It's actually for the sake of others. There's one student that we have, his name is, is Amin. And Amin is one of the brightest students I've ever had. He was one of the top students coming out of high school. And he was so good that he got a full ride scholarship to study engineering in Cairo. And he studied engineering successfully. And in his senior year, he realized that his heart was not in a successful, triumphal engineering career, but it was actually in serving the people of the deep south of Egypt. And so he finished his degree in engineering. He came to the seminary and he just has this wonderful smile. And he just said, you know what? It occurred to me that nobody wants to go to the deep south of Egypt to proclaim the gospel. But those people need the gospel. They need hope. They need to hear about the love of God. So I'm doing that. All I'm trying to say is, is that right now, what God is doing in Egypt is a remarkable continuation of what we see happening in Isaiah 42 and later in Matthew 12. More importantly, what God is doing here in and through Community Church in San Marino is a continuation of what we've seen in Isaiah 42 and Matthew 12. I want to thank you for the ways that you have done that. I want to thank you for the ways that you continue to do that. And I want to praise God for the work that he is doing in and through the church in Egypt today. Please join me in prayer. Gracious God, you have shown us that your ways are not the ways of empire. Your ways are not about self-service, but about service to others. Your ways are not about merely expanding for the sake of the empire through raw force, but through gentle service. And you are one who has called us to follow your example, to give ourselves in service and love for the sake of all people. Lord, thank you for this church. In Jesus' name, amen.